Yeah, so the essential for reloading is blending whiskey, drink whiskey, watch loading press. I thought, it was, I thought it was not having calipers or scale or a case gauge. I have a friend. I have. I know. You know a guy that reloads like that, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind. Okay. On that note, uh, welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. I am your honorary uh, host for today, Joel Park. On deck, we have a man that needs no introduction. Wants it, Kim. Hello. And Matt Hopkins. Hi. And a familiar face to some, but maybe it's been a while since you've been on, Jeremy Reed. How's it going? So, uh, what, Jeremy, how long has it been since you were on? It was a while, wasn't it? A couple months? Yeah, it's been a few months. Okay. I don't remember when it was, but it's been I think a you few had months. him on PSTG. Yeah, he's been on training also. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Jeremy's quite strong at shooting single stack unlimited, GM guy. What else, Jeremy? What am I missing? A gunsmith that's very quite notable. Uh, his guns are maybe jewelry that shoot would be a fair way, I think, of saying it. Some people would call it that, yeah. I know you I know you build them to shoot them, but they're quite gorgeous. So, Yeah, I spend a, a little bit of time uh, trying, to make them, trying to make them look good. They look quite, quite flawless. Uh, you should look up Jeremy's Instagram just to drool on them, actually. But, uh, okay, anyway, you guys know the topic. Uh, show and tell. Something you did this week in shooting, or you know, trigger warning. If any of you guys are just, you know, got some rage in you that you have to let out. Let's not let Kim talk first, so no one goes to sleep. What? <laughs> yeah, bring your coffee, see. dude. His topic is gonna be rough. <laughs> it's gonna be excellent. All right. Well, yes. I want to hear about. I think Matt and Jeremy, you guys kind of have a combined topic. Yeah, we're uh, so we're gonna do this weekend shooting. We uh, just got done shooting the Area Three Championship held in Grand Island, Nebraska. Uh, Area Three match, pretty, I guess you would say, not a normal type match, but you know what you're gonna get when you do go to the match, right? Tell, explain to that what that means, because I. So, a, friend, a mutual friend of ours did not know what he was signing up for when he went to that. Really? So, yes. Have so they what, gone before? No, he had not. Okay, yeah. I no, feel like didn't. even if you haven't been to Area 3 before, you should have it. Like, it's pretty hard to, like, <laughs> not at least have an idea of what you're getting yourself for, into, For right? people that haven't been to the match before, what, what do you guys mean by that? What do you mean by... So... Uh... All open targets, no partials. Targets are put at a distance to increase difficulty, not put as a partial target. Okay. There is a ton of stuff that takes away from the shooting, so they will have you holding a women's Olympic shot put to start the stage, as an example. Or they will that. put a they will put a platform that is like what a foot and a half off the ground with a port right over it. So you have to basically go prone on the platform. For 32 rounds. Yeah, for 32 rounds. And it had, what, six poppers and a swinger on it? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So Uh, just for an example. So how about a fair characterization? Because I've I've been to Area 3 a few times. Uh, All going to be 32-round field courses. They're going to be things that I'll be charitable that distract you from the shooting challenge. So the pool noodle yeah. car wash, 
uh, like the chop shot put thing you're talking about. Uh, I can yeah. think of a year where you had to carry like this barbell. You had to carry it across the stage. Uh, They've uh, had, they had monster tires truck tires. Jump in and shoot from mm-hmm. inside of. You couldn't shoot from the outside of them or on top of them. It looked like it had barrels that people could jump over this yeah, year. Yeah, so. barrels this year you could jump over if you wanted to. Uh, they weren't the normal like blue 55-gallon barrels. They were the smaller ones, so they weren't too crazy, but they were there for people to use them if they wanted to. Okay, so I think that kind of paints the picture. So yeah, one thing, one one every year Area Three A. Uh, I've been to twice and watched Area Three videos for a while, many many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say there's always injury factor. <laughs> yes, <laughs> always. <laughs> and I bled myself one time. There was a uh, you were supposed to go up, up top of a roof. It's a canted roof, of course, and the surface was like a sandpaper. Mm-hmm. And after that stage, my knee was bleeding because you had to go low port on that surface, too. Yep. Uh, a friend of mine fell off that roof while he was trying to get down. That roof actually... was like over three foot in the air also. So this, so this Joel's friend like fell three foot like to the hard packed dirt. He fell on his magazine pouch that yeah. actually like broke under him. <laughs> the magazine pouch shattered, and then he managed to like maintain a, a safe distance for the gun and got up and shot the stage. So anyway, uh, yeah, that kind of sets the stage for what we're getting into. Okay, so sorry, Matt, go ahead. So I mean, typical they do ten thirty-two round stages, then four sixteen round stages. They actually departed from that this year. They had ten thirty-two round stages, two sixteen round. No, they had a. A 13, a 16, a 24, and a 26 round stage. So that, that they're up in the round count even over. 16 was years. not enough. <laughs> uh, t- I mean, typical. Like you know, you knew going into the match, you knew what to expect. You knew on Bay One they're going to have 40 plus yard targets that you can shoot and some steel back at that distance, or you could run up and shoot them really close probably within probably at 10 yards or something so but it'd be an awkward position and it'd take a lot more time usually uh bay two like they'll have a memory stage where you have to remember every target and everything so this year they had a pretty hard one i think that's what i heard why well, one of my friends past. said it was one of the hardest memory stages he's ever seen in his life is that true it was uh i'd like to hear yes. jeremy's opinion on it too i think it was harder than any other of the memory stages i've seen there and honestly once i got my plan walked it and confirmed it i stopped listening and paying attention mm-hmm. and basically walked to the back of the base so i would not get confused yeah so like the memory stage uh the memory stage was absolutely absurd uh it was definitely the hardest memory stage i've like I've experienced if you were, I, I looked at it three separate times, like before, before my actual walkthrough, like I, so I don't know how much time I spent on it, but I spent three separate times on it. And in those three times, I didn't have a chance to figure out the best plan for it. It was just, I simply figured out a plan. Just uh, so you this, get to all the targets. I, I figured out where I went, got to all the targets. If you had showed up to this match and you didn't spend time on that beforehand, like, and you just had your five-minute walkthrough, I could have told you a plan 
and you could not have figured it out in those five minutes. Like with 100, 100%, 100%. me giving you the plan, you would not have figured it out in five minutes, wow. much less somebody just walking up to the stage and figuring out where to shoot all the targets in their five minutes. hundred um, uh, percent. Go ahead. That's, to me, that's a, like, that really takes away from the sport. Uh, if you have to, if you have to spend that much time on the range ahead of time, just to be able to complete a stage, that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, like that's, that's too much. Um, it, Cause the truth is once you figure out a plan, it was just 16 targets at 20 yards that you had to not screw up on. Um, yep. So you think it, like an average competitor that walked up to that, like uh, maybe a casual to average like competitor that, you know, they're not all in like you guys, just a regular dude. Would they be able to, if they had 30 minutes, would it be like a regular dude could come up with a plan? I mean, how, how tough was this? In 30 minutes with other people on it, because I was never on it by myself. Like it oh. was, it always had people on it. So no, I don't, I maybe like they might. So I think they could come up with a plan. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure they would actually get all the targets. Cause there were some that you had to shoot from a very specific spot. I think there were four targets that yet you could only shoot from one spot. Yeah. And then other targets you could see from all around. So you could see the other 12 all around. And I think it came down to basically about three different plans. People were shooting on it. Uh, and honestly, I, I was the same way with Jeremy. It was like, I got a plan. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know I'm hitting every target. I don't care anything else about this. I don't care if there's a faster or better way to do it. I'm not changing it. I'm not going to get two different plans in my head. And honestly, when our squad got to the to the bay, I was, I think almost, I think I was dead last on it, or really close to last. So I got up, did the walkthrough, walked through it like three or four times, and then left the like left the stage and just sat in the back and played it through in my head and visualized it. I didn't even face the stage while people were shooting, and I turned my hearing protection off because I didn't want to hear anything. Wow! To try to get confused. That's intense. It was That's so. With it carry was, optics. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I only had to do one reload, and I had a dot. <laughs> Holy crap! Uh, what else? Anything else worth the laying down stage? Looked like uh... laying down stage was another level. Uh, I haven't seen anything kind of like that. That one was purely to get in your head. Like the shooting wasn't that hard. The positions really weren't that hard, but like just having to do it, that, I mean, it got in a lot of people's head, I think. I think the key on that one was not letting it get in your head and just shooting and just dealing with what you had there. Like the gun at one point was so close to my face, I thought the slide would like hit me in the head, mm-hmm. like on one of them. It was, <laughs> it was interesting. I actually haven't shot that way, and I'm like, oh, well, the dot's there, pull the trigger and like get hit and then move on. Uh I guess the other kind of crazy stage was the two by four stage, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this stage, you started straddling a two by four on end. So it's not like flat. It's on mm-hmm. an end. So you have an basically inch a one inch and a half shooting area. And you started with an empty gun. So you had to like load your gun, get up on the edge of the two by four and shoot four targets and then do a mandatory reload and shoot another four targets. So they had a rope you can grab onto to stabilize and shoot strong hand only if you wanted that really won the, 
the fast plan or kind of like the best way to do it. So a lot of people did it different where they'd like get up and shoot some, some number of rounds and then they'd fall off and have to get back up on it and shoot some more rounds. And then like the fast guys could probably crank off eight rounds before they kind of fell off or became unbalanced and then do a reload and do it again. Uh, I think the funny thing about that is while we're shooting the match, NORI released a, Yes. <laughs> a, uh, <laughs> what do they call it? Maybe like a guideline to stages. Like, uh huh. Oh, no. They're like, use, using a balance beam to, to shoot on a stage on is not probably the best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the director of NROI was there, approved the stage, and, and the whole area was shooting that when they released an article saying this is probably not a good thing to do. That was kind of funny. Uh, let me see if I can wow. find it. I did. I did not see that during the match, but that is. <laughs> I saw it posted hilarious. on Monday, but they like. I think they posted on Friday, and that's when like the bulk of people were starting to shoot. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'll read this because uh, it's kind of interesting. If this is from, uh, yeah, it's from the NROI. Uh, the the title is "It's Legal, But Should You." So it said, here's another opening. Now let's talk about unreasonable non-shooting challenges. Remember, our sport is a shooting underlined sport, and we test shooting, which is underlined challenges. C116. We aren't testing one's ability to climb a rope to a raised platform, balance on a tiny beam that only a gymnast could love, squeeze through a small hole, tunnel, tube, pick up and carry some unreasonable weight, or fit into some contraption. I think we hit three out of those four. Yeah, so my take on, on like area three is I know what it is going in because normally area three stages like at another match would frustrate. Like I would get like mad and frustrated and like this is ridiculous and absurd. Uh, for whatever reason, area three, like I don't get that upset about it. Because, like, I just know, like, there's going to be ridiculous stuff there. And it's almost, like, at that match, it's almost like, okay, I'm going to go to this match because I'm going to see, like, anything that I'm going to see crazy, I'm probably going to see it here. Um, I really appreciate about Area 3 is their creativity. Like, mm-hmm. they, they, they are extremely creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish that whoever's coming up with these stages and building or whatever, that... Like, yeah, have your creativity and then have some sort of somebody come through is like, okay, maybe that's a good idea, but let's do, let's tweak it this way so that it actually makes an interesting stage. It's like they, it's like they just do stuff creative just for the sake of creativity and they don't actually do stuff to make it an interesting stage. Like the balance beam stage. Like, I think that could be kind of cool if you had like, two outside positions with a few targets and then you had to go to a middle position and there's like two targets and a balance beam that you got to get on for those two targets that might be kind of cool that like okay yeah you really got to stop get your balance and whack those two and then get going um 16 rounds of open targets where you're just sitting there on one foot that's not that's really not interesting um they had a stage the other stage that, that Matt has not mentioned yet was the twenty the short course. It was twenty six rounds. Oh, that sounds like a short uh, course. Oh yeah. <laughs> the shooting area was 
a three by three box, basically. Probably like maybe three four, by four, I think. Three by four yeah. shooting area. And it was 26 rounds with eight steel, uh, two drop turners, and the, all the paper required three hits per. So you're shooting single stack major, you're in one shooting position, and you have to make three reloads. Like, that's not interesting. That's just, who can just sit here and make reloads? And Like, that's, like, in a 12-round in a stage, that could have been kind of an interesting stage with the drop turn and a three per, uh, you know, where do you put a reload in? Mm-hmm. Um, that could have been an interesting stage. It's almost like, because of their, I don't know, internal mandate for round count, the stages become less interesting because they want to bump the round count up. It's like, man, this this could have been a cool idea with if it was half the number of rounds. Uh, like the memory stage. If that was only eight targets that you had to memorize in that way, be easier to memorize. Uh, like you could, you could figure it out, and that'd be a lot more interesting, uh, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously I read that article or that, uh, yeah, article, I suppose to say one side, but also, like you said, there are people that go to area three because they know what they're getting into. It's something different. They really like doing something different. And there are people that absolutely don't miss that match that they, they know what it is. They love it. It's something different. And they, Joel, they rave uh, about it. what did your friend say? That's not used, like didn't know what he was getting into. He didn't not know how prop heavy and because i was kind of like he's he was uh, on his way there actually and uh, <laughs> i was talking about the match and uh i was like yep you know this is kind of kind of what it is and he's like what he's like that's not in the matchbook and i'm like well <laughs> if you look at if you look at the uh you know people's videos from previous years you'll kind of see and he you know it just signed up but he he just assumed it was like any other area match so and you know and that's thing- but yeah sorry okay. One thing how I look at it is like Joel, like Joel said, there's definitely people who likes the style of Area Three match, but how I look at it as a sport participant is like national title, area title, state title. Those are very uh, what's the prestigious title, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big and deal. You go to area matches, and a lot of people want to get those titles. And then if the match is not a good representation of the sport that is not really good for the participants. So if somebody wants to shoot a special creative type of match, it shouldn't be an area match or it shouldn't be a national match. Those two matches, I personally think, has to be good representation of the sport in terms of strategy and stage designs, uh, organization, kind of like that. Hmm? Yeah, that's just my take on it. You guys both got my message, so I see the smirks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I heard his comments as soon as he got the rain. Got to the. It was interesting hearing people's comments. Uh, Sasquatch was uh, he loved the stages. We'll just <laughs> not really. He, he as soon as he walked on the stages, uh, Sasquatch was ready to ready to leave. Um, and yeah. actually, I thought this year was kind of tame compared to previous. I area I actually didn't matches. think it was that bad. Yeah, so... it was just. I don't so, know. I thought the prone stuff. stage would be bad, but it really wasn't. I thought the barrel stage was bad, but it was not. It was not so bad, and the the basically the the like the way around it did not literally cost any time. So it was equivalent, either going over the barrels or around them. Like yeah, 
I like I can't like the memory stage was a little out of control, I think, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's the only one that was kind of that way. The ski ball stage or the shot put stage wasn't really nothing. The real fast stage up on twelve that they always do wasn't as fast as it is in the past. It wasn't as hosy just the because the amount of movement. Uh reports the, were the that one that was three, was three, two, four, four, two, three, three. So that was an interesting stage. That did not sound interesting. You think it was interesting? I thought it was interesting, yeah. I mean, I can see that. I guess maybe, maybe if you have like, you don't have to sit there and stow mags. Uh, yeah, I think that was probably the interesting thing about me. So, I I actually didn't have to do a load on that. So I have a twenty-four round mag for CO. Yeah, and I just grabbed that and stuffed it in the gun and shot to empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was the interesting part for me. And like <laughs> everybody else in the division had to do a reload on it. It's because you got to flex with your magazine capacity. Right. That's right. <laughs> But that, yeah, okay, I, so to describe that stage, you had a you had an empty gun. Uh, empty gun was on one barrel. All your mags were on another barrel. Uh, the targets were they were scored. It was best three hits on the first two targets, then the best two hits, and then the next two were best four hits. Then the next one was best two hits, and then that last two were best three hits. Um, yeah. All the targets were like less than five yards. Yeah, they were like eight feet away or something like that. So it was the close. Sh- the shooting was the shooting was just mindless. It yeah. was just count to count to the right number on each target. And then for single stack, it was <laughs> sit there and stow mags on the clock, which anytime you have to stow mags on the clock, I think that's that makes the stage way less interesting. Uh, that, that should not that should not be a skill that we're tested or that we should be proficient at is so how fast can we put that's magazines one of the ones in our that's belt. like the classic example of taking like having to remember how many rounds on each target is taken away from the shooting. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd be surprised how many points were dropped on that stage because of that. Or because yeah, I was the I'm okay so with close. that part of it. Yeah. The, the, the different, the varying round counts on targets. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but maybe make it more interesting by vary the distance of the targets and, let you have a loaded gun or at least put barrels down range so that you yeah. can put put mags down range because you're not just sitting there stowing mags on the clock yeah. that's it, and just that was one of the double bays so they probably couldn't have done a lot on that if that stage was by itself on a bay and had varying distance and target difficulty and all that stuff i think that could be interesting yeah 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 it could be and again and that could be with maybe less rounds uh, like maybe like 15 rounds or 16 rounds, uh, not not 24. Uh, I thought the round count made it made it less interesting. All it did was drive the hit factor up. Well, like summarize this for me, guys. So let's. There's both. I see both sides. I very much agree with Kim's side, where it's an area match is a big deal. Winning it means a lot, and I wouldn't want it to be how I navigated a merry-go-round, seesaw, jungle gym, trampoline, whatever. But then I also understand that going there to have fun and it's unique, uh, you know, an experience, something you don't see elsewhere. So how do people decide if that's the match for them or not? Because I'll <laughs> I'll just say I got some friends, some people I know, they got there after they, you know, saw the match and they decided it was not the match for them, but they were already there. So how do you think people like who should go to this and, uh, you know, so what do you guys recommend? 
I guess a note there will like Sherwin's still he's got one year left, so next mm-hmm. year will be probably the last year it's like this. Unless I think if Sherwin comes back or Nick does it or something like that, but I think it'll be one year and then Sherwin's getting off the board and gonna gonna have someone else in charge. So I think this will be kind of like the last year. I don't know what he's planning on doing. He they might go all the like 120 percent instead of 100. <laughs> or next year could be crazy. Or I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I think look at some video. Hunters HD put a bunch of the video and stages up on their website, on their YouTube channel, so you can see kind of what it was. You can see all the stages. You can see the memory stages. And if you are not like just in it for fun and not super competitive, like obviously someone's going to win the match, but I would say it's more or less on how good you are at shooting and more emphasis on other things like how fast you can run or manipulate props or memorize certain stuff, stuff like that than just pure shooting skill. Yeah. I mean, if, if the, if any sort of circus stuff like really makes you mad to where you don't enjoy it, uh, then, then this is probably not the match for you. Uh, If you can go there, if you can go there and know that you're going to have some circus stuff, um, and, and to me that my take on it is I compartmentalize in that, like, there's a lot of outside shooting stuff and that's merely a distraction. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's get the distractions out of the way. And then the shooting stuff is still shooting. Uh, and so it's, it's, can you, can you take care of the distractions and block those out and then just take care of the shooting? Cause if you, it's, it is a good test from that standpoint. Um, it's just. You, there's going to be some stages that just aren't interesting that are weird. Um, and so, like I said, I wish that I wish they would get somebody in there that an experienced shooter or something that would, that would kind of like let them do their crazy stuff. And it's like, okay, let's manipulate that this way. Um, I would like th- my two favorite stages I've ever shot at matches ever are came from area three. Oh, wow. Um, and that was the car stages from the last two years. Oh, those were those were yeah. fun. Yeah. Those were those were the funnest stages I've ever shot. Um, and and stage one almost always has a fun like stage one this year I thought was a fun stage. Like you you're gonna have to shoot far and you're gonna have to run, and that doesn't get tested a lot. But that's but it's always like I find that pretty fun. Um, so you're there's gonna be some fun stages at Area Three. There's was that gonna be some. Shot? They were 45, I think. Or 45 seems about right. Uh, so not the quite. The steel 50, was a little further, maybe. maybe yeah, and I shot the there. steel from. I shot the steel from close up. I ran up. Yeah. Um, but you know, so they they do do some cool stuff. I wish there was. I wish there was some sort. It seems like there's just a lack of somebody. So I think. Like, I think everybody's probably shot a wobbly bridge stage, right? Like, if yeah, that annoys you so. a lot, yeah. I would say skip Area 3. Yeah. If, you, if yeah. you can, like, shoot a wobbly bridge as part of a stage and, like, you're like, okay, yeah, that they're trying to, like, throw me off balance and all this stuff, like, it probably is not going to hurt you if you shot it. And they also will always have a box down range. Yes. Uh, so none of the targets are disappearing. Mm-hmm. So Which... that three-per drop turner stage... 
there was a box downrange, so none of the targets were disappearing. They were all scored as full penalty mics if you had them. If, yeah, and if they would make oh. those disappearing targets, the stages become so much more interesting. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, okay, do I take the chance and go for points? Like, I mean, I can add up a whole bunch of points, but then, you know, like – like yeah, then, an extra reload then or something. Yeah, 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 it's an extra reload, but then the risk is out of it. Like you can you can make that then it becomes a discussion on that stage of what's what's actually a good plan on it. We and, didn't even talk about the double clamshell stage with the activator like a foot and a half in the air that you yeah. had to either stomp on with your foot or hand or something. Like we didn't even talk about that. And those I were know. not disappearing because they provide a rope that you can pull and open the targets back up to shoot. So, like, if we want to talk about it, that was probably <laughs> where the most drama was in the match, at least for our squad on that stage. I heard, I heard about, about some... Uh... I heard about dramas in a lot of squads, and some <laughs> stuff I probably don't care to comment on. So that one, they were having trouble because the wind picked up a little bit. First of all, the weather this year was... Like, normally the weather in Grand Island in August is terrible, and this year it was... Phenomenal! It was like awesome. 80s, right? Yeah. yeah. Eight, Sunday was 70s. High of like Dude, it was 50 degrees in the morning on Sunday. That's crazy. Yeah, it was. You, you it's wanted awesome. a long sleeve shirt on. Yeah. It was. It was <laughs> awesome. But there was also a breeze, and so you've got this double clamshell uh, that the breeze was holding up, and it wasn't. They couldn't get it to work right, or it was. It was activating before the shooter activated it, and so what they did on our squad, I don't know if they did this on other squads, they were putting tape around the little pole that the weight sat on so that it wouldn't go too soon, except that sometimes the tape didn't pull off or sometimes the tape went on the pole and so then the weight would, couldn't hardly slide over it. And so I went up there and smacked the activator with my foot and sat there and waited for like a second, second and a half. Like it, I could slowly start to see it creep open. And for everybody else, it opened up left, right first. And I'm sitting there watching it, and the right one's coming open first. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to shoot right to left on this one. Uh, and, you know, the RO, of course, I got an argument with the RO. And he's like, well, that's just what we have to do to, to, to deal with the wind. It's like, well, it's not the same for everybody. So the stage should be thrown out. He's like, you want to call the RM? It's like, well, I'm not going to get the stage thrown out because I just didn't want to do it. But the stage probably should have been thrown out because it did not present the same for everybody. So I, I shot it in the morning, yeah. and they didn't have any wind problems or tape on it when we shot it. So, yeah. So then you had, I mean, for you guys, like it, it, it was it exposed fast. extremely quick. And like it, if you trigger froze or anything like that, yeah, you're in trouble. It closed really fast. I think was the thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It, the it way, opened the slow, way you had to hit it, it you had to basically pick your foot up and stomp the pad, pick your foot back up off the pad, and start shooting like right away. Because yeah. those clamshells were going back and closing. Like, you yeah. had to shoot basically like a flamingo on that target, those two targets. Yeah, and they did not, uh, like, they didn't expose the entire target. You right. got, like, the top half. And then it was it was closing back up. Yeah. Uh, Yikes. Kim, yeah. what do you think about all this talk? Sorry, we have not let you talk much. <laughs> it was good. I like it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why I didn't go to Area 3 this year, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. All right. On that note, uh, mm -hmm. Kim, you yes. have a topic for us. Yeah, it's not too long, but 
So there's no ammo. So it seems like a lot of people are getting into reloading. So I've been getting some questions here and there. Uh, most people were loading 9 mil. So I mostly load 9 mil, loaded 40 before. But there's the common uh, issues I faced. So I wanted to just give out a couple tips. Pro, not pro tips, but tips. No, no. My favorite. Mm -hmm. So first, my favorite spirit uh, for reloading is bourbon. Don't drink too much, just enough so that you're not bored. But okay, the first issue, oh, <laughs> the first issue when I faced when I was reloading is the determining overall length of the bullet. So mm -hmm. it depends on the profile, the overall length really changes. So uh, in the beginning, how I did is I would load a bunch of different sizes and then try to put it in the chamber. And then if it goes all the way in and you have to spin it, make sure it actually spins. But then the issue was I was loading too short. So now that was causing some issues. So basically, uh, I watched on YouTube a couple of years back. How I now do is I would just have a chamber, drop a bullet in there, and I have a spent casing that's not sized. I push it all the way down into the chamber, mm -hmm. and then it'll, it'll get the uh, bullet into the breast because it's not sized. And then I mm -hmm. plug it out, measure the size, and then I would load uh, like a tenth, shorter than that and then i would just put it in the chamber if it spins freely that's pretty good to go i don't want to get too short and that's the way i uh, use it and then the second part is of course uh, get a hondo gauge mm -hmm. uh, gauge your bullets but then before you use the hondo gauge yeah you gotta try the chamber too and the hondo gauge because some chambers are smaller tighter or shorter longer versus so you need to understand if the Hondo gauge gauging ones actually fit your uh, actual chamber in your gun. And then the last one is uh, the bullet setback. If you use mixed breasts, like a range pickups, I would usually make a batch and then pick out one head stamp. So like Federal and PMC, blah, blah, blah. I would select each of the company head stamps and then I would push down onto the table and then measure the size. If it gets shorter, you're having a bullet setback issue. So in that case, uh, you maybe want to use different sizing die. So Dylan works pretty well, but then there was a case where I changed my uh, breast cleaning process and then it was having setbacks. So now I use sometimes undersizing die, but when I use undersizing die, I get a little bit more clunkier with the machine. So I'm using regular Lee, uh, well, the regular die, not undersized one. Yeah. Those one work perfect. I heard reading works pretty perfect too. So that's the tips I have. Just drink enough. Uh, play <laughs> favorite podcast. Have have a chrono. Do you think people have to have a chrono when they reload? Here's a trick. So if you don't want to spend money on the chrono, mm -hmm. buy a factory ammo that's like uh, 135 power factor. So typically... I get PMC, Federal, uh, or any of the competition-friendly uh, ammo-making companies. They make mm -hmm. somewhere around 135 power factor. Shoot that ammo, and then shoot your reload ammo. And if it feels about the same, I typically find that power factor is also similar. That actually makes sense. Uh, yes, but buy a chrono if you reload. I would not tell somebody to go to an area match or nationals without testing their stuff. Yes. Uh, uh, ask one of your local friends. They probably have one. They'd let you borrow. That's exactly yeah. what I do. Like, hey, homeboy, do you have one? Can I 
Can I, can I go to the range with you? Yeah, once okay. you have your load, shoot a half a dozen through it as long as they're good. Make sure what, you have about a a, what about a measuring scale for the powder? Do you think that's important? <laughs> Just eyeball it. Yeah. Just pull a oh. factory bullet and see how much is in that one. <laughs> Depends on uh, the powder density, though. <laughs> no, he's, he's messing with you, Kim. Uh, I yeah. like your first point. I do that a lot with rifle, where uh, I actually am pretty nerdy, I know, but for like loading bolt guns, where you put a dummy case in the, the chamber, you do exactly what you're doing. You push a bullet forward. It's got like a, a way to like basically stop it where you can measure it, pull that out, and then you measure what your overall length. Yep, that tells you how far it is your rifling. Absolutely. It's set a little bit shorter. Uh, the thing I think also that's important to pick out, like you said, the plunk test. So I think most people call it where you drop it in the chamber and then you spin it freely. And if your bullet's not spinning freely or it's catching at all, then you're probably hitting your rifling, which is a bad idea. The other thing to do, I think, when you chamber around, you take it out. If you look at just the bullet and see if it's got marks like where it's hitting your rifling, That'll tell you potentially have a problem too. And lastly, your ammo should at least group around four inches at 25 yards, bench tested at least. Yeah, if it's more than that, probably there's some issue going on in the ammo making process. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's excellent advice. Yes, and the Hundo case gauge from the pro shop will raise your quality of life for sure. 100%. Because I can't it imagine. hardly any time to case gauge all the ammo you shoot. Bro, I used my barrel back in the day because that was like what you did, you know? I never used my barrel ever. It was not, I had a, it was I not had a fun. Single, I had a single hole case gauge until I got the hundo. Yeah, That's I still, did too. Sounds just as terrible. Oh, Wait, it's the same you, thing. you case gauge all your ammo, Matt? 100% of it. If it comes Practice off the press, and everything? it goes Pra in the case gauge and then something else. Practice everything, yeah. Oh, I don't gauge my practice ammo. I, I have no. an automatic press, I can just case yeah. gauge why it's doing it while well, it's, it's printing them anyway. Yeah, yeah but it's still, you still can't keep up with it. Yeah, you can't. If you no, you don't can't. gauge, if you don't gauge your practice ammo, you will sometimes have malfunction. So that's a good plus for your training. Why well, no, because you want to practice malfunction clear too, but you don't I want to don't know want when to it's coming. Through. I don't want to. So if you don't, <laughs> if you drink too much, what you're going to have oh, is stop. a bunch of squid rod that's bent because you are hammering it too much. Oh, my goodness. Just, just saying. Okay. Well, on that note. So launch Thanksgiving reloading advice, more of based on don't do the mistakes that Wanchik has made. Exactly. He <laughs> speaks from, from experience, experience from a lot of things, it sounds like. Well, I understand not being careful about his, his practice ammo, but I know Kim's very careful about his match ammo, and that's exactly what really matters. Yes. That's why uh, I have. I one. would say, yeah, you do need a set of calipers. That's that's pretty important. I don't know. Uh, I would say on the uh, on on Matt's question of do you need a chrono, dude? They're like a hundred bucks, like one hundred twenty bucks for like the pro chronos, and those are I think those are some of the best ones. I would not get the CEDs, but. The idea of just matching uh, factory ammo, like the feel, that's a good way to, uh, like if your powder is kind of slow and you don't really know about, if you don't have a chrono and you don't, you're new to reloading, you may not know about slow and fast powders. And slow powders may feel like they're kicking a lot and that bullet's not actually going that fast. Uh, like if you're using an open powder or something, because I practice, I, I bought There's some so for a while. There's so much information out there on the forums that, there's like no matter what you're loading bullet wise and powder wise 
someone's going to have done it and said it made this and you have a good baseline to start at. Yeah, that's, that is true. That is true. Uh, yeah. But by Chrono at like, some point, yeah. The internet knows everything. You yeah. would do what, Matt? I don't own a Chrono. Yeah, but you have access to one at least. I haven't. I used a Chrono last weekend, Air Raid 3. That's my Chrono. <laughs> <laughs> They're a little hot. I got to turn the powder down a little bit. Be fine. Yeah, I wouldn't turn it. They were about five. They were about five power factor hot. So if anybody didn't make it there, then their ammo was way under whatever their declared power factor was. It was yeah, the Chrono was way better this year, Joel. I heard. I wasn't gonna bring that up. <laughs> uh, okay. I have a show and tell that Matt's already making fun of uh, a little bit. So I have in my hot little hands a Glock. This is just a fourth gen. Uh, nothing special. But what was kind of interesting is I. I've shot like I've shot Glocks quite a bit for a while, uh, but I decided we're shooting two gun now at my club, and so I wanted to start actually, you know, training with one a little bit. So when I go to the match, I can uh, hopefully do well. And something I discovered that I uh, never tried to mess with was the different back straps on the gun. And when I always shot the like the gun, I just shot it without the back straps. I thought the guns, you know, smaller around, it's easier to hang on to that kind of stuff. But what I was actually missing was sorry for the audio listeners was like how much you gain in actually distance to the back. So you can kind of see the line of where that back strap is. So how much longer the grip is. And the reason for that I found was it actually gave me more place to put my support hand, which was quite helpful because before I noticed when I gripped the gun, my hand basically wrapped around it so much that when I went to put my support hand on the gun, I was basically putting it over the top of my fingertips and I was lacking surface area to control the gun. And I think that was part of the problem for why I wasn't shooting the gun well. Uh, so I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So I went to the range, dry fired, messed with all the grips, and I ended up really liking. Uh, this was the large size with the, the top beaver tail. So, okay, that makes sense. Then I'm still shooting it, and this thing's kind of like squirming around in my hands. Even with pro grip, I have to really hold on to it hard. So I decided to try the Talon grip tape is what it's called. It's like 20 bucks. It's, it's overpriced for what it is, but it's excellent. that it, It's traced exactly for the grip. Uh, you basically just line it up, smash it on the grip. You heat it up with a, like a hair dryer. You smash it in the grip, and then it's pretty permanent. So I didn't permanently modify the gun. But the thing I really like, again, this is all about the support hand for me. Because the firing hand, it's easy to hang on to the gun. I mean, it's not going to get away from you. But this whole area where my support hand's going to go, now I have a bunch of like skateboard tape, basically. So I have reduced area for my support hand to sit, and it has that that grippy texture. So I found that my support hand really stays put on the gun, which to me has made a big difference. So anyway, uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, so then I'm dry firing with this thing pretty hard this week. And uh, within 15 minutes, I'm already starting to see like where my support or my firing hand hits the back of the gun on the beaver tail. I can tell it's like stopping short because whatever I get is what I get. And then like, I'm kind of like already like rubbing my hand raw basically on that, that webbing of my hand from hitting the skateboard tape. So the next thing I do, that piece gets tore off. So kind of just as I go, like not having anything right here. So when I grip the gun uh, fast out of the holster, being able to get my hand all the way up to the beaver tail without, you know, getting caught or, you know, rubbing my hand raw basically where it hurt. That was a big plus, too. So, anyway, uh, I don't really have anywhere else to go with it other than just, you know, it's a gun that I'd shot for years, but taking a step back and looking at my grip again, am I gripping the gun the way I want to? 
is this gun fitting my hand properly? And is there anything better, like a better solution for this? Uh, was quite good for me. I have a question. So yeah. you mainly shoot tenfolio stock too, correct? Correct. When you go back and forth, do you feel like you need to change the way you grip um, to get side of line for you and stuff? That's an interesting question. So I basically, uh, full disclosure, I only train with this for two gun for the week. And once two guns over, I go back to my Tanfo. Um, it's, it's interesting because I have to apply pressure differently. Yes. Because of the shape of the gun. Whereas my stock two has, I really like those palm swell grips. So yep. it kind of tapers on each end and where the Glock grip is basically just a, a rectangle. Then yes, I notice, uh, I'm, it feels like I push more with my, from my palm and then kind of my fingertips. It's just the way it kind of wraps around the gun. Everybody's hands are differently, but yes, I do feel like I have to grip the gun differently than I do with my tan folio. Cool, cool. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I think the grip I tape's quite good. Block. Can you not use your tanfo in that? Uh, my concern was you have to reholster hot sometimes. And I didn't, it was either that or put the manual safety on or decock the gun. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And this is, you know, more tactical because, you know, two guns tactical. <laughs> RMR on there. This is true. Well, and I the holster also has, I tighten it down more. So that way the gun doesn't flop out. And then I've got an AR mag pouch in my belt. So it's a different belt setup anyway. So yeah, this sense. just kind of made sense just to shoot something different. So anyway. So do uh, you feel like when you go back to the Tanfo, not necessarily going to the Glock, but going back to the Tanfo, that shooting that crappy Glock trigger, like <laughs> your fundamentals are better when you go back to the Tanfo? Uh, I will, I'll be real with you. I feel like I have to work harder to shoot this gun well. Um, sure. And maybe, maybe it's because I'm not used to it, but I feel like I have to really grip this gun properly, and I have to really grip it. I have to really pay attention to the sights because my Tanfo, yep. I think I've shot it so much that I, you know, anything out to, let's say, 15 yards, if you grip the gun properly, one sight picture, press the trigger twice, it's, it's, it's predictive shooting in that sense. I know where the bullets are going to go. And with this gun, I can't take anything for granted, honestly. I have to really be very patient, especially on partial or farther targets. Close stuff, I just hammer pretty hard. Uh, but then going back to my Tanfo after this, life just seems easier, honestly. It probably makes me appreciate it more. And if the reverse was true, if I was a hardcore Glock shooter and I was just messing with the Tanfo for a week, then it might be the reverse. But Yeah, I mean, the, the Glock has, for most normal shooters, the Glock has hand handicaps for most people i mean being especially that's a 19 short sight radius light gun uh without you adding the grip tape there's no texture and the long the long trigger press for most people make it a harder gun to shoot versus a stock two yeah uh, no i agree and it was also a good test for me just to be messing with my like just testing my fundamentals because yeah. you like especially the thing i noticed was like my tan felt let's be real if my support hand's not quite always right i can still get pretty good results but sure. with this thing, like my support hand has to be clamped on the gun. I have to grip the gun properly. I have to watch the sights. Like I yeah. can't take anything for granted. So in that sense, it's actually been good for me. Yeah, I've considered, I've considered, I mean, it'd be heresy for me to shoot a Glock, but I've considered shooting a Glock just from, from a training standpoint, just to try and hammer home things like that. Mm -hmm. I haven't yeah. messed around with it though. And then to be clear, I wouldn't say like, if you want to level up, you need to go buy a Glock or a, a CZP-10, like don't go buy a polymer gun just because you think you're going to get better with your main gun. But mine is just focused around, frankly, a lot of trash talking and wanting to uh, give my friends the beat down in two gun. So, 
it's something fun to do with our local group yeah okay uh i know we're running a little long but we've got a listener question to uh take a crack at um so just signed up for your fundamentals class here in the date uh he's new to shooting uspsa he shot two matches so far He's currently working through reloaded versions of dry fire and skills and drills and practical pistol. Is there anything you would recommend as a prerequisite for the class to help me get the most out of those two days of training uh, as a fan of the podcast looking forward to the class? Ken, let's kick it to you first. Before somebody goes yes. to take a class, do they need to be studied yes. up? So my recommendation is, of course, like keep working on your training routine, uh, you don't have to like ramp up or anything. Just keep doing what you were doing. But addition to that, what I highly recommend is actually prepare some nutrition part. Like maybe, uh, I mean, there's some podcasts or any uh, nutritionist actually talking about for sport, sports athletes. So like hydration basically or eating proper uh, nutrients, like not ton of sugar. And maybe if you drink caffeine, just right amount of stuff. So the most important thing I think while taking the class is not actually performing better at the class is actually your learning ability lasting the whole time of the class. So you can actually learn the most. And I mean, there's a reason why university classes last 50 minutes and 10 minutes break kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Without actually properly nutritioning your body, it will only last like an hour or two. And then after that, if you forget about hydration part, eating, snacking, protein stuff, then your learning ability just dives down. So make sure to bring those uh, properly and actually last the entire time. Yeah. And you can like straight uh, the first class I took. So I took two, two people, but multiple class from one Ben. I took like three classes from him. But I mm-hmm. took one class. The very first one was very uh, movement stuff. My body started cramping up because I wasn't giving a proper nutrition. So my calf was like cramping up and I wasn't able to uh, move like I would in the first couple hours of the class. Yep. That makes sense. Uh, also to add to that, uh, yeah, of course, you're, you're talking sense. Um, as far as like shooting ability... The only thing I think when somebody takes a class, I wouldn't want to have somebody in a class. It would be really frustrating if you couldn't make all the shots, like a reasonable shot, like being able to hit an A zone out to what, maybe 15 yards is fair. You know, just where you can, you could basically hit the targets. You're comfortable moving through a USPSA stage. You know, you're comfortable reloading while you move, you know, gun handling, especially your gun, how it functions. It's like clearing a jam, administrative loading and unloading, all that kind of stuff. You don't have to think about that because you wouldn't want to be in a class and, you know, get some jam or, you know, not not understand how a function of your gun works. Um, the other thing I would say is if you have a second gun or extra parts for known breakage, so maybe you think your slide stop's going to break or a spring or a front sight or something like that, bring extra because you wouldn't want to get to a class that, you know, you pay money for, you take time off work, and then your equipment lets you down. So if you have extra parts or an extra gun, uh, make sure you bring that. Yeah, that actually happened to me too. The first class, my gun broke after day one. So I was shooting the instructor's <laughs> gun. It sounds oh, like no. I was pretty dumb at the time. Uh, no, it's not <laughs> uncommon at all. Normally, like I you know, host Ben here every year for several years, and there's always one or two that I means stuff just happens. You know, so a part breaks or they, you know, whatever happens, bad ammo, who knows. 
So nope, try to be prepared. Um, and then I guess training up to it. Uh, when I'm taking, like if I'm taking a class or Ben's coming here to do classes, I like being sharp. So I feel like I'm trained up where I, I feel like I'm ready to learn kind of, but then also a day or two before the class, take a break and make sure your hands are fresh, you're rested. Make sure, like what Kim's saying, you're in a condition where you're ready to learn. Your hands aren't hurting because you're going to be on the range in the heat maybe for a couple days. And so you want to be able to, you know, shoot a couple, you know, whatever you shoot, 1,000, 1,500 rounds. And, uh, you know, you're kind of physically up to it because you want to be in a state where you're rested, you're not in pain, you know, your hands are okay, and you're ready to learn. Because obviously the whole point of the class going is to learn new skills. You don't have to be an expert when you go to the class. You just want to be in a condition where you're, comfortable you understand everything works and you're ready to learn you're not distracted by you know administrative stuff what do you guys think matt jeremy is that fair i can't add nothing to that bring a notebook something to write on yeah note making materials good too yeah mine goes along with with what i mean obviously yeah if your equipment's not working like that's going to be really frustrating i it's not uncommon for somebody to like get a brand new gun and like a week before they go to a class, like, oh, I want to take my shiny new gun. Mm -hmm. And they have no idea if it works. Yes. Uh, so maybe take your old trusty gun. Like what gun you're shooting isn't going to affect what you learn unless it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work, then it's going to affect your ability to learn. As long as it works, you're going to learn something. Um, but with the notebook, I wouldn't necessarily so much be worried about trying to take notes the whole time. But you're going to have like aha moments where a drill clicks or a, a stage that you're shooting class, like, like you're going to do stuff and everything's going to go right. And it's going to be like, wow, I want to channel that. Um, so th that would be the time that I would like take a pause and go and think back, okay, what did I do during this to make that made this work right and write those down so that you're at least making sure that the positive stuff that you did correct in class is something that you remember going forward um rather than just you get through it if it's two-day class and you're shooting you know i don't know 700 a thousand rounds a day in class you might if you don't take those notes you might remember oh that was i had this i had that one run that was really cool i don't like i don't i remember what i did up to i don't remember what i did during the run but i did have that one run whereas if you have the notes you can say okay yeah my focus was on was mainly on my trigger but then i was really uh, i you know i had a good i was I was using target focus on on all the shots, you know, whatever whatever it is yeah. for you. Uh, writing down kind of those visual those those clues so that you can know what mental state to get in to perform at that level again. I agree completely. Whoa, guys, what's the line? This was a bang up podcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> ah, appreciate you guys coming on, uh, listeners. If you have a question you would like to answer to, go to Ben's website. Bensteger.com. Uh, send him a question. We would love to hear from you. Boom.